0: You can open up your Bibles if you have one there. If not, you can look under your seat. We're going to have the screen up for you as well. But open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week uh, in verse 9. Uh, we're going to be covering just three verses this morning. So Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning there, um, let me just take a moment to thank you guys so much for uh, last week and really the all of last month um just the the cards and the and the gifts and the text messages and emails and just uh it's overwhelming to be appreciated uh like Jamie and I feel uh and so I just want to thank you guys uh and I know everybody that has that did something is not here today maybe they'll they'll listen to the uh, podcast but thank you thank you so much um it's it's overwhelming to just to know all that the the appreciation and the prayers that you guys do on and give on my behalf. So um, there's there's no way that I could be here without without you guys. So I just wanted to, to thank you for for all of those things. Um, last week you you probably remember Craig um and he he uh, was covering chapter eight. We're going to be in chapter eight, and you probably remember Craig saying something along the lines of us being deliberate in going slower in our time in, in Romans 8. Uh, and, and in Romans in general, it's a little bit slower than if we were covering, if you were here back when we went through, you know, something like Exodus, where it, it's a longer book, but we're going faster through it. Uh, it's a little bit different. But when we get to Romans 8, it's especially different because the, the, the text is very, very rich. It's very, very deep, and sometimes it's, it's easy uh, to miss some really good stuff by going quickly. And you probably remember Craig saying we're, we're intentionally uh, slowing down in Romans 8. And, and I think I said something similar the week before that. And I just want to encourage you as we're in Romans 8 to to not get frustrated with that. Because it's easy to get frustrated like, hey, I thought we did Romans 8 last week. And, and we did. Uh, but instead, cherish the, the depth and relish in the depth of the Word. Um, there are some points in the Bible where... You probably just need to read chapter to chapter and just keep moving. That's kind of the way it's designed. But there's also some points, and Romans 8 one of those, where we need to focus on individual words, individual verses, and just slow down for, for depth. You've probably heard the, the phrase, uh, still waters run deep. And that's not my intention to go completely still in, in Romans 8. But I think if by slowing down, and by being still, proverbially, to in, in our study, I think we do mind the depths of the word here. And so I would say that sometimes it might feel like in, in Romans 8 that we're, we're, we're not moving. And that's intentional because I want to dive deeper instead of wider in this context. So I just want to remind you of that. And, and not just on Sunday mornings, not just in your connect groups, but I'm talking about like in your... In your quiet time and in your devotional time, and especially if you read along with Romans uh, to prepare for whatever we're doing that week coming up, just take some time, read the same verses again and again and again, and we're mining for depth. And so I wanted to encourage you with that. Most of you probably do not know the name Angelo Dundee, but you've undoubtedly heard of Muhammad Ali probably the most famous boxer of all time. Uh, For more than two decades, Angelo Dundee was in Muhammad Ali's corner, literally. He was Ali's corner man. He was Ali's cut man. Uh, He's the one who made Ali float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. He also trained 15 other world boxing champions. And Angelo Dundee, I've got a picture here for you I was going to show you. That's not working this morning, Hannah. There we go. Um, That's Angelo Dundee there on the right, obviously Ali there on the left. And Angelo Dundee said, um, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, an engineer, and a psychologist. When you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, an engineer, and a psychologist. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have someone even better than a surgeon, engineer, and psychologist in our corner, and that is the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. It highlights the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, Paul mentions Holy Spirit or Spirit at least 18, maybe more depending on the version, 18 times in that chapter alone. And so it's only through the power of the Spirit that we can walk in the Spirit and live abundant, obedient lives that glorify Christ. And this was one of the truths that Craig highlighted last week in verses 5 through 8, and that truth will continue to be on display in the verses today that we're going to look at. I want us to go back briefly to the last verse we covered last week, which was uh, verse 8. And then I'm going to read from starting in verse 8, which, which Craig hit on, and then I'm going to read through 11. So if you have your Bible, look there with me. I'm going to read there, starting in verse 8. It says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, a lot of what Paul's saying here, actually, we can trace it back to Romans chapter 7. And if you remember, Romans 7 is all about the internal conflict we have. If, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and it's doing battle, it's doing war against the flesh. So, it's sin versus spirit, flesh versus spirit, whatever you want to call it. And it's that internal battle where Paul talks about, I do what I don't want to do, and what I do, I don't, you know, I don't want to do. And it's all that back and forth language. It kind of gets confusing. But what he's describing there is just tension and battle and and warfare. And Paul says here in verse 8 that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So that's the part of every human being that is self-centered, self-reliant, selfish, sinful. And it's that nature in all of us that is in total rebellion to God. And in total rebellion to his authority in our lives. And so... Craig said this last week, and I think I mentioned it maybe a couple weeks ago. So, for the non believer that you've never placed your trust and your faith in Jesus, then you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit, right? And so, all you have is what you're born with, which we're all born into a sin nature. We all have that flesh. And so, for the non believer, there is no battle raging because there's only one king of the heart, and that's the king that you were born with that's you. You sit on the throne of your life. You, The flesh and the sin control it. So there's no conflict there between the flesh and the spirit because the spirit's not there. So the flesh reigns supreme, uh, uncontested, unopposed. It is completely the king. But verse 8, if you read just verse 8 alone, can be a little confusing. And and I know this. We were talking about this in, in our group, our connect group this past week um, and I was kind of wrestling with this in my own head, is when I read verse 8, and it says that those who are not in, or those who are in the flesh cannot please God, I was, I mentioned to our group, uh, and just kind of talking out loud to myself, yeah, but I know a lot of people like you guys do that they're not Christians, but they do a lot of good things, and they say good things, they may give to charities, they do hospitable work, they're, they're good people, by and large, they, you know, they've not done anything wrong. And, and, and those things we all know to be true. So what does he mean they can't please God? And, and that's what Paul is not saying here is that a person that's living in the flesh, meaning they do not have the Holy Spirit, that that person cannot ever say an encouraging word. That person cannot ever do a good thing, give to a, a good charity, uh, be a kind person. But what he is saying is what I believe is described very 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 well by uh, Pastor J.D. Greer at the Summit Church. This is what he said. And I think this is exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying it just means that at the core of who they are, meaning the person in the flesh, they are more loyal to themselves than to God. And that, that alone, makes them displeasing to God. And J.D. And Greer is a great example when he's uh, describing this. He, he's talking about an example, and he says this. He said, imagine there's a man in a rebel army, And he looks after his comrades, he keeps his uniform clean, he's brave, he's courageous, he has a great work ethic, he's truthful to his superior officers, he's punctual. I mean, all of those are good actions. But they're all done in the context of hostility to the rightful ruler. Remember, because he's in a rebellious army that is rebelling against the rightful ruler. So you would never expect that rightful ruler, who is rightfully in charge, the king, the president, whoever it might be, to then go hear about this conscientious rebel uh, force, this rebel, uh, this soldier, rebel soldier, and it's like, man, he's such a good soldier. He's such a good, you would never expect that ruler to come and just be blown away and pleased by that rebel soldier's actions, right? Why? Because everything he's doing, while it's good in that context, ultimately is done out of rebellion to the rightful ruler. And that's exactly how it is for those people living in the flesh. In other words, that ruler could never be pleased no matter how good that soldier was. Because everything he was doing was in rebellion to the ruler. And so when you think of it in line of that, I love the way J.D. Greer explains that. It helps me to reconcile How people that are not, do not have the spirit living in them, how they can do good things. This soldier's doing good things. He's doing it for all the wrong reasons. He's doing it because he is trying to ultimately please himself in some regard. Look at me. This is my life. I'm doing these good things, so it's about me. It's not about furthering the rightful ruler's kingdom. That rightful ruler is God. we got to understand that truth from verse 8 before we move to verse 9. When you understand that truth, look at what verse 9 says. Paul says, you, speaking to the believer, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, think back a little bit, what we're reading, where we're reading, contextually what we're reading, Paul is talking to believers in Rome. That's who he's writing to. And he's saying, you, however, are not in that flesh. You're not in rebellion. And that you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And let me just point out something. If you write in your Bible or you highlight or you take notes, that word dwell, and it's used a couple different places in chapter 8, it carries the idea of of permanent residence in someone's own home. Okay? So, like, right now we're kind of, for lack of a better term, we're dwelling in this building. But this is not our permanent residence, right? We are going to leave, we go home, whatever. This this dwell, if we were to use this, it, it's literally a permanent dwelling where I live, my home. And so if you and if you use that word in the in the original language, it's saying that the Holy Spirit makes his home permanently in the life of every believer. And Paul is stating that when a person puts their faith in Jesus, that they receive The permanent Holy Spirit at that moment. So what that subsequently means is there is not a second or a third or a fourth giving of the Holy Spirit. There's not a second falling or filling of the Holy Spirit that will come later in your life when you become a more mature believer. You know how we can understand that is because Paul says here that if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not a Christian. That's what he says. I'm not saying that. That's what he says. He said, if you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to fill you, then you're not a believer at all. So there, there's no varying levels of the Holy Spirit a person can attain to in their life. A person either has all of the Holy Spirit or they have none of the Holy Spirit in their life. I, I, was, I love J.D. Greer, and this is, he said this, and I, this is a great great quote. He said that the amount of spiritual power that you are experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of him you have. But how much of you he has. Read that closely. The amount of spiritual power that you are experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of him you have. Why? Because you have all of him. But it has everything to do with how much of you He has. So we have to ask ourselves as believers, how much of ourselves have we given to the Holy Spirit? See, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we get 100% of the Holy Spirit. There's not a holding back. There's not God saying, I'm going to send you my partial spirit now. When you mature, I'll fill you with the Spirit. There is none of that in Scripture. It's either all or it's none. It's either the believer or the non-believer. And so we get all of the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ as our Savior. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. So that's never the question. The question, though, is always how much of ourselves are you and I willing to give to him? How much of you does he have? I want to show you a little illustration this morning. Y'all have all heard of Alka-Seltzer, right? I'm going uh, to ask my lovely assistant, Jude, to come up and help me. He wanted to help me, and I need some help this morning. Got some Alka-Seltzer. And by the way, I'm not dehydrated. I put these up here for, the, for our science show this morning. So I'm not going to be drinking all this. Um, so I want you to think about these, these three cups of, the, of water. And I want you to think about those as individual people, Okay. Everybody can see those, I hope. I, got a, I stole a table out of the lobby, so y'all forgive me. I'll put it back after. Um, they represent individual people. And what I want you to think about in terms of this Alka-Seltzer, which I know the flu season and stuff's going around, is, is coming around, is these represent the Holy Spirit. The Alka-Seltzer is the Holy Spirit. These are the individual people. So, Jude, if you would choose one of those... Uh, lives, or cups, and place both of your uh, Alka-Seltzer, all of your Alka-Seltzer, into one of those cups. Then I want you to take this Alka-Seltzer, Jude, but we're going to leave it in the packet, and I want you to place it in another one of the cups. Put the whole thing in there. Wonderful. Thank you. Everybody give Jude a hand. That's awesome. He wanted to help me this morning. I needed help. Now, what I I want to see here, we've got three people. We've got the life of a believer. We've got the life of a believer. Obviously here we have the life of a non-believer. Now I want you to see what's happening here. Look at these two cups. Y'all know what happens when Alka-Seltzer goes into water. Both glasses, all, both of the two believer glasses or cups, they have the Holy Spirit. But notice how you can have the Holy Spirit in your life. And you keep him under wraps and you quench him and you don't let him loose in your life. And guess what you don't get? You don't get the action. You don't get the life. You don't get what you see right there with those bubbles and the action that's going to be the medication that will make you to, in this case, feel better. Here's the action we're getting from this Alka-Seltzer. And this person's filled with the same Holy Spirit. This has two tablets in it as well. But that water is stale. That water is not moving. Meanwhile, this water, filled with the Holy Spirit, is now ready to be taken and be used in its full capacity. And so many times, and I'm going to take this one away for just a second because I want to focus on the, on the believers here. So many times, we're one of these two cups. If you're, if you're in Christ, you're one of these two. And I believe so many times our lives look like this one because we have... The Holy Spirit underwraps. We are afraid of what the Holy Spirit might do. We're afraid that maybe, if you notice when Jude did that, the water level rose a little bit. And maybe, if I let the Holy Spirit get really wild, that my life's going to look pretty wild, which that does. And maybe that it might start overfilling if I put too much of the Holy Spirit. If I gave Jude another pack, for example, and that Holy Spirit starts to spill over, then people are going to start noticing that My life's not all together, and I'm doing some weird and wacky things. I want my life to to look neat and clean like this. Holy Spirit's still there, but I'm keeping him under wraps because I want to make sure I control everything that's happening. If you're here this morning, and a lot of people are, I know that uh, there's a lot of people that aren't here that are just battling sickness. You have a little, uh, you know, I've had a little congestion, whatever, and I was going to take one of these and said. Okay, uh, There, which one of these do you want to take? I put um, the medication in both. Which one do you think I'm going to take? You either choose one, just take one, I want you to feel better. Well, I'm going to take this one because this is the one where the, where the medicine's working. Do you think me taking that one's going to help me at all? Nobody in this room that was sick would choose that one. If anything, it might make you more sick because it's got paper and other ingredients in there. And it's not being used the way it's designed to work in your life. It's the exact same way... In our lives as believers, a lot of times we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And it's, it's not because we don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there. When you, if you've trusted in Christ, it's just like you dropping the two tablets in. But you're keeping him under wraps. And you're scared that your life might not look like somebody else's. Because if you look at these together, which one of these looks the same? It's these two. And I think so many times we live here and not here because we want our lives to look, I don't want to look too wild. I don't want to look too Jesus freak. I don't want to look, I want to look kind of like them. So I got my Holy Spirit, but I got it under wraps. And I'm safer that way. And so what we do is exactly what the Scripture tells us not to do. And as we quench the Spirit, we are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from working to full capacity. Many of you probably remember and remember, remember well Dan Marshburn, who has now gone on to be with the Lord. And one thing Dan told me several, several times not just he, he got cancer and got sick, and, and and cancer took him to be home with the Lord, um, but not just when he was sick, but before he was sick, we would have conversations, and it, it happened after he was sick too. But he told me time and time again, Dad, don't be fearful of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, Dad, I'm not scared of the Holy Spirit. He said, well, why are you not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life? And I I had to to wrestle with this on my own a lot. And I'm like, I I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not scared of the Holy Spirit. And then I would look at my life and looking back on it, my life a lot of times looks like that. Because I'm keeping it under wraps. And I don't consciously know why I think because I don't want to look so different I don't want to have all that in my life if you knew Dan he had that in his life there's no way you could be around Dan and say whoa that that dude he looks like the world no he didn't look anything like the world at all and sometimes you would talk to Dan like gracious what is he talking about and he was he was not fearful of the Holy Spirit He did not quench the Holy Spirit. He was not concerned about his life looking so much like the unbelievers. He was concerned about the Holy Spirit filling out of his life in every possible way. And now maybe more than ever I still hear his words ringing in my ears Dad, don't be scared of what the Holy Spirit can do. Unleash the Holy Spirit in your life to get full capacity. The Holy Spirit's there But the question is what are we allowing him to do in our lives? And if you look at that second part of verse 9 just that second part says anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so all of a sudden on the forefront verse 9 the second part bingo. That is exactly that cup right there represents what verse 9 says. There's No fruit of the Spirit, there's no power, there's no presence of the Holy Spirit, there's no desire for the things of God, there's no desire for repentance. It is just an empty cup of water. There's no Holy Spirit, there's no fruit, there's no desire to change. And and then what Paul says here is, is anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. very scary thing. If there's no evidence of the spirit in someone's life these things would point to the fact that this person does not know Jesus and therefore as Paul says does not belong to him. And Paul is obviously he, here is contrasting the person that's in, walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And we, we know that. But then quickly in verse 10 he switches right back to what the main Theme of, of, of Romans is, speaking to the believer. And look what he says, to the believer. Now we're, we're talking back to these first two cups, okay? They both have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. Look at what he says to the believer. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So even for the believer, the physical body is dying, and we'll eventually be dead unless Christ returns first and takes us. But, but there's really good news. Is that the physical realm is only temporary. Paul says that although the body will die because of sin. And keep in mind, death is the consequences of sin. Our sin nature that we inherited all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It came through the line of Adam. But the spirit, Paul says, is life. Because of what? Righteousness. The spirit is eternal, not temporary. And it is life Because of righteousness, specifically the righteousness of Jesus sacrificed on the cross for our unrighteousness. You've probably heard it referred to in some ways as the beautiful exchange. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. And the believer has the hope of eternal life because of the beautiful exchange where Christ on the cross takes on our sin... And then imparts to us or imputes to us his righteousness. It's not just he took on our sin. Thank you for that and we need that. But he gave us his righteousness. Because go back and read verse 10. It says the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life. Why? Because of righteousness. So if we don't have the righteousness of Christ in our life. If he doesn't impute that righteousness to us. The sacrifice was good. But we're still not righteous. He had to die for our sin and then impart, impute his righteousness to us because what Paul is saying there is the spirit is life because of that righteousness. And if you want to know what the good news of the gospel is, it's right there. It's that beautiful exchange. But here again though, it comes back to how much of our lives are we willing to give to Christ? Verse 10 says, the spirit is life. You guys are familiar with Jesus' words in John 10.10. He said, I've came to give them, to give the believers in me, to give them life and life abundantly. Jesus didn't mince his words about his purpose of why he came. He came to give life and life abundantly. But the question is, what about your intentions? What about my intentions? What are your motives? What are my motives? C.S. Lewis, the great author, theologian, in his book, Mere Christianity, this is what he says, and I'm not sure anybody could say it better. He says, Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your talents and money, or a certain amount of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and prune a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self. In my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. And my will shall become your will, and my heart shall become your heart. That's exactly what we've been talking about these last few weeks in the book of Romans. This is the battle that wages in the life of a believer. Jesus did not come to earth as a helpless baby to live a human life with all the the torment of being in the flesh and die a gruesome and brutal death on a cross so that he could clean up your life. That is not the gospel. He did not come to clean up your life. He came to make us totally brand new people. Did you read what C.S. Lewis said? He came to kill the natural man. He came to kill the sinful desires. He came to totally change our identities so that we could receive the righteousness and the eternal life found only through Him, in Him, and because of Him. I read a story one time about one of my favorite athletes of all time. Somebody that everybody in this room knows, everybody in the world knows. Michael Jordan. That's an amazing picture, by the way. That's one reason I wanted to talk about him, but that's an amazing picture. But anyway, um, I in my dreams, you one day you could fly like that and you could look eye to eye with the rim. I just that picture blows me away. When I was a kid, I had a poster it was by my bed of that that very image. But and I know there's a lot of young kids, I hear this at, at college, and they they debate who's the greatest player of all time. And, he threw all these names and all these reasons, and that, that's fine. That's to me, that's always the greatest player. So if you agree with me, you're right. If you don't, you're lying to yourself. So, but anyway, um, I, I read the I read the story one time about about Michael Jordan, and um, it was a, it was from a book titled uh, "Driven from Within," and uh, Fred Whitfield was the one talking in the book. And Fred Whitfield is the current uh, president, and he's a minority owner of the NBA Charlotte Hornets, which you know. Jordan is still obviously uh, majorly involved in. And so still to this day, these two guys are still working together. But Fred Whitfield, he tells a a fascinating story about something that Jordan did uh, one night when they were getting ready to to, uh, go out one evening. It was very early in in Jordan's NBA career. They were going to go out to some function, some party. I don't know what they were doing. But uh, when Jordan asked Whitfield if he could go in and borrow a jacket from him, Whitfield said, sure, go on back, my closet's back in the bedroom, get whatever you need out. And and Jordan goes back to Whitfield's closet, and he goes in the closet, and he finds out that the closet was filled with both Nike gear and Puma gear. Like, it was like two sides. And the Nike gear had been given to Whitfield because of his relationship with Jordan. Jordan had just recently signed a, you know, lucrative contract with the Nike company. Obviously, he is the biggest Nike brand of all time. But the, the Puma gear had been given to him, to Whitfield, because of his relationship with a former basketball player uh, and Puma representative, Ralph Sampson, who was, in his own right, an incredible basketball player. But, but Whitfield recalls that Jordan walked out of his bedroom that night, and he walked into the living room, and he laid all the Puma gear on the floor of the living room. And he went into the kitchen, and he grabbed a butcher knife. Jordan came back to the living room, And he proceeded, as Whitfield watched, to cut every single bit of Puma gear that Whitfield had in his closet with a butcher knife. He cut it to shreds. And then he picked up all the scraps, and he carried every bit of it out to the dumpster. And Jordan came back inside, and he turned to Fred Whitfield, his good friend. And this is what he said. He said, don't ever, ever let me see you in anything other than Nike. You cannot ride the fence. Now, the Puma gear in this story would represent our old lives and our sin nature. And the Nike gear would represent our our new life in Christ and the freedom we have and our new identity in Christ. And that, that quote from Jordan that night, he was speaking about, you know, superficial things, you know, gears and contracts and all that kind of stuff. But if you use it in a spiritual sense, it's very, very accurate knowing whose we are, and knowing who we represent. If we call ourselves Christians, we are literally bearing the name of Jesus. We are his representatives to the world. And just as Jordan was telling his friend Fred, we must not and cannot ride the fence between living for Jesus and living for the world at the same time. So as believers in Jesus, we must constantly be aware of going in and cleaning out our closets, to remove the things that are of the flesh and sin. See, Fred Whitfield had never gone back into his closet and cleaned it out. Yeah, he put some great Nike gear in there. Yeah, Jordan signed a great deal, got cool Nike. But he also had his old stuff, the old Ralph Sampson stuff. Ralph Sampson wasn't no longer playing. And so his closet was split. And Jordan said, if you're going to be with me, don't ever, ever let me see you wearing the old stuff. And that is, if, if that could ever be more true is true in the spiritual sense, that we have to clean out our closet so when you walk in, you don't have a choice, do I wear this or do I wear that? I only have one choice, and it's only Nike in this case. It's only the Holy Spirit. That was what Jordan was saying, that you only identify and assume the identity of the one you are representing, and that is Jesus Christ who gives us hope and life through his Spirit. want to close with that last verse and I think this might be the most powerful verse of the three that we're focusing on today. Here's that last verse. Verse 11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you If you want a really good summary verse of what Paul has said so far in chapter 8, this is it. If you highlight, underline, verse 11 is a good summary of really verses 1 through 10, specifically verses 5 through 10. So what he's saying here is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave not only dwells, remember, permanent residence in our lives, but also will give us life to our mortal and dying bodies. So in other words, the temporary trials of this life, the temporary physical circumstances of this life, they're all going to be changed. And the power of God through the Holy Spirit will give us eternal life with Him. So what is that, what is that verse saying? What is verse 11 saying? Number one, is saying that the mortal will become immortal. Number two, the dying will become the living. If you have any age on you at all, that meaning probably above the age of, 18 probably, you've probably started to feel your body starting to give way a little bit, right? It doesn't work like it used to. There's parts that hurt like they didn't used to. It hurts to get up in the morning. It hurts to, and I used to could run fast. I used to could lift, I, and then it gets worse and worse. And I hear it, it doesn't get better. And you get in your 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and whatever. So our body is dying. And even though you may be young, your, your body is dying. This body is not meant to last forever. Our souls are meant to last forever. So the dying will become the living, and the imperfect, which is what we're in right now, will become perfect. So let me just give you this and and, and challenge you with this as, as, as as we close, that whatever you might be going through, and I realize if I was speaking to a room of five people, there would be limitless And unbelievable things that people are experiencing. Much less a room with this many people. So whatever you're going through I have no idea. But I know that it's hard and it's gruesome. And sometimes you feel like giving up. Because I've been there myself. And also whatever sin you might be battling. And again, I don't know. It's not important that I know. But I do know that sin wages war. Because it has on my life all week. And as long as I've been living. Or whatever relationship issues you might be experiencing. It might be in your marriage. It might be relationship at work. It might be with your kids. It might be with a coworker, Whatever. It might be with a parent. It might be with a sibling. Might, I don't know. But whatever those relationships issues may be, let me just encourage you guys that you can take great, great hope. In these, in these verses, and in specifically verse 11, that you are not defined by those struggles. You're not defined by the relationship issues you're going through. You're not defined by the battle that you're waging on sin right now. You're not defined by whatever it is you're going through right now. Because you know what? This is not the end of your story. This is not the end of your story. There's, this verse promises that the Spirit will give life That means perfect, immortal, eternal life to our mortal bodies. But yet, in the meantime, we're still here, right? And so here's our challenge, is that while we're here, we take great hope, we take great encouragement from verse 11, but we strive to constantly do a couple of things. Number one, we constantly strive to not quench the Spirit. Okay? Stop trying to look so much like the world And try to look so different that people say, why are you so different? Why do these things not bother you? Let them ask the questions. Why does your life have bubbles and my life doesn't? Whatever. Let them ask the questions. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is we got to constantly be going into our closets and cleaning them out. Because guess what? Everybody's closet has some old gear in it. And it has some old junk. And it has some old sin. And it has some old relationships. And that stuff needs to get out. Because when we go into the closet, we need to only have one choice. And that needs to be clothed in the Holy Spirit. And if you've got a choice, if you're like me, I'm going to choose the wrong thing every time. I'm going to choose the Puma gear. Boom. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose the wrong thing. I'm going to choose the wrong thing. Don't make it a choice. Clean out your closet. And then above all, don't forget, going back to the Muhammad Ali example, that you have the greatest corner man that ever existed. It's more than an engineer. It's more than a psychologist. It's more than a surgeon. He is the Holy Spirit. And He is in your corner willing to fight and willing to help and willing to work in all the capacity He's available. But you have to unwrap the wrapper. See, a lot of you have Him in your life. He's fully submerged. But the wrapper is still so tight because your grip is so strong. Jude opened up the wrapper. Jude dropped him in. Let the Holy Spirit work. That would be my challenge to you guys this morning. As Michael mentioned, we do celebrate communion on the first Sunday of every month. And probably not a better thing we could do every Sunday, but we do it the first Sunday of every month. As a reminder to get our lives right. To clean out our closets. To rely on the Holy Spirit. To unwrap the packaging and let's do it the first of the month because don't we want this month to be good? Don't we want November to be better than October? Whatever October looked like for you, don't we want it to be better spiritually? So what better way to do that than celebrating and reflecting in the Lord's Supper? I'm going to pray uh, Andy Gregson going to come. He's going to prepare our hearts for that. And then we're going, to, we're going to celebrate. We're going to reflect together. Lord Jesus, I just ask uh, as we go into this special time of, of Reflection and celebration as we start this month. First Sunday of this month, we have this whole month ahead of us, this this whole week, this whole day ahead of us. Lord, that you've got for us so much more than we've experienced in the past. You have a life and life abundantly waiting for us. And Lord, I can't speak for everybody in this room by any means. I can only speak for myself. And I know that I spend so much of my life... With trying to wrap up your spirit into a nice little neat package, so it fits neatly in the corner of my life. And honestly, God, I, if if I'm real, it's probably what Dan said. It's probably that I'm scared, and I, I don't I don't want my life to look so different. I I don't know what people will say. I don't I don't know how that will change relationships. And Lord, I I pray for myself and, and any brother or sister in this room that may identify with me that you would help us not to be scared not to be fearful and to be obedient to your word your word says do not quench the Holy Spirit we have your indwelling Holy Spirit and so many times we don't experience the work of your spirit instead we're experiencing the work of our flesh we're going into our closet we're putting in we're putting on all this old gear And we're wondering why we're not experiencing power. Why we're not experiencing victory in our life. When we're sorry. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive us. And as we go into this time of uh, communion. I I pray number one that you would speak through Andy. Uh, Open our hearts and minds. Prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate. And to reflect. To be challenged and yet to be convicted. And then to leave this place differently than the way we came in. Let tomorrow, let Monday this week be different than Monday last week. We love you, we thank you, we praise you that your life, that your spirit, that your sacrifice gives us hope. In Jesus' name.